Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. young, sure, but they've been around the block a few times. Then came Krakoa, and since the whole world turned upside down, everything looks different for the new mutants. I want to be clear, that is not the introduction to a comic book about a group of mutants who are now able to legally prostitute themselves. This is the start of We Are Krakoa, because, it, you know, I, I guess I'm disappointed. I would think that on Krakoa, especially with Make More Mutants, they would have legalized prostitution, and knowing Hickman, they would have talked about the socio-emotional ramifications of the legalization and justification of sex work because it's important. I'm your host, Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Dylan. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you whore out the experience. <laughs> so much like the New Mutants, we're not so new at this. We've been covering the Hox Pox feeds since they were wee little Krakoan seeds in the Krakoan dirt egging their way out of go balls. And oh. we have been at this for so long, we've covered 12 Hox Pox, and we are on the back half of the number ones of Wave 1. Today we're going to be covering New Mutants by John Hickman, Ed Brisson, and Rod Rays, and we're also going to be taking a look at X-Force number one by Benjamin Percy and Joshua Kassara. I think we all really liked X-Men number one, even if we thought it was kind of boring, and we all really were interested in parts of Marauders, and everybody liked at least something in Excalibur. I think this is going to be the first real disagreement. I want to start things off with New Mutants, because New Mutants was meant to be read first. So, all right, I'm on the yay side of New Mutants. I actually thought it was a lot of adventuresome fun, and it kind of reminded me of, like, New Mutants 48 to 51, that, like, space time cipher era kind of thing all right dylan what did you think did you like it yay or nay yay i loved it it was fun and just i love new mutants generation x so this book made me very happy kyle that's two votes yay kyle are you a yay or nay on the new mute i kind of need a spectrum for this i can't be one way or the other because i did like the story but i felt like the characters had regressed and that made it a little weird for me so that's two g's and an oh boy from kyle and <laughs> Jonah, were you yay, nay, or maybe on the new mutes? Uh, shmay? I'm on a fence. I'm leaning towards the yay side, but just a little bit more than the nay side. But it's not much of a nay. It's more like a may. Like a meh and a yay. May? <laughs> Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, you know, and like, I get it. I do. I do, I do, I do. I thought that this New Mutants was a really interesting response to X-Men. X-Men number one is about building a family out of the shattered pieces of the X-Men who have this great new opportunity to have everything they've ever wanted. It seems, however, like the New Mutants, in having everything they have ever wanted, are all still at this sort of like train spotting sort of crossroads of their lives. They're all sort of in this lost 30s place, even the ones who have it all going on like Monet who okay everybody let's take a pause for our try harder moment of the day I think we can all agree that Monet yelling at the penance babies was probably the greatest moment of Dylan's life it's so adorable 
If Dylan hadn't wanted to be a parent before, Dylan has found his two little foster babies that he's going to take in and be such a good daddy to. Okay, hold on. I just want plushies of them. I don't, I don't really need to be raising children. Not even terrifying razor mutant babies? <laughs> Well, maybe. Well, maybe. I thought they were amazing. This whole idea of evolving the genome of mutants is really exciting, and if I don't get my fucking Bamfs next, I'm gonna scream. I really need Bamfs soon. Well, he would have to appear in a book for more than two panels. Yeah, you're seriously missing Bamfs. Womp womp. We are at an incredible Bamf deficit, but you know who we're not at a deficit of? Why the fuck is Corsair the star of every book? Now, in this book, he's a little bit like, ah, uh, Birdo, here's the thing. I already have kids that are disasters, and I don't have room for your ass, so I'm going to strand you in space, <laughs> bucko. But Corsair is everywhere right now, guys. Like, it is like the Corsair party. Well, he is kind of the transport, so... But he's the transport in a universe that no longer has the need of transport thanks to the magic of transport. Well, I mean, at least until they get flowers planted. I just find Corsair to be an odd choice because he's just really not reliable. The X-Men have a lot of friends with spaceships, and Corsair's kind of, you know, a sleazy pirate. He's also a dick, and I don't, I don't know if anybody else thought of this, but the way I was thinking about the way Corsair's acting towards the new mutants is, don't you think this is going to put on a strain with the relationship of your son who is a mutant, and your other son who's a mutant, and the third son who's a mutant and you know your daughter-in-law and your grandchildren and all the other mutants that just happened to appear in your life why was he like so rough with this i feel like it's gonna bite christopher in the ass at some point though i'm pretty sure a lot of people would want to bite christopher in the ass i'm not fully sure but i i, I just didn't I understand why he was so abrasive you guys i'm having a moment it's 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 come to me i understand now mr sinister is the fourth summer's brother we've never seen his conception on pan so I don't think there's a reason that Mr. Wait, isn't, Sinister isn't Mr. Sinister from like the 16 isn't he from the 1600s and aren't you from Chicago I don't know what that has to do with the price of flowers in Krakoa <laughs> One of the things that Jonah and I discussed early on in this issue was you had like a really like intense reaction to the art, which makes sense. This art is the furthest from the kind of main line that we've been reading. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about your response to this really progressive, interesting art? I want to applaud Rod Rays for doing something what I would consider experimental art. It was really different than anything I've read so far, but I guess I had a weird reaction because I thought the cover looked good, but when I got to the art and then I looked back, I was less excited because it seemed his art and interpretation of some characters left them devoid of details and made them look really weird. I think this is probably one of the best I've ever seen Corsair drawn, and it's really fascinating to see how well Corsair translated to Rod's art style, but everybody else felt like they fell short. Maybe the other character I, I really appreciated the design and art for was Chamber. Every image of Chamber by Rod is amazing in this book. And it's such a great return to form. Chamber has been so maligned. He had such a phenomenal design that even by intense 90 standards, he stood apart as one of Bacalo's best contributions to comics. The idea of a mutant whose face was blasted off by his own energy signature. And you know what? Honestly, he is a little bit magical girl. His name is Jono Starsmore, and he's a gorgeous scarf-wearing, psychokinetic, faceless mutant who just wants to make love to you with- How does he eat pussy? Oh my god. Psychically. Ew. That's hot. So, Jono has been through the ringer. At one point, 
he basically looked like Apocalypse, and that was really awful. And this is a really cool return to form. I'm so happy to see him. The lettering on him is tremendous, and I know that was something else you pointed out. But Kyle, this has to be your first Chamber, or at least near there too. I've had experiences with Chamber. Not a lot. I'm not really very familiar with his history. More of his more recent appearances. I'm intrigued by him. I just need to read more. Talking about Rod's art, that New Mutants movie that was made and will probably never come out had Macy Williams as Wolfsbane. Did everyone tell Rod that he only could draw Macy Williams as Wolfsbane? Because that's exactly what she looked like in this entire issue. It's one of those problems you run into when these characters get redesigned to look like their film counterparts. It is unbelievable how Thor's face lost a good Mm, 40 pounds overnight and he grew a scruffy beard instead of a big long beard. It was incredible how Thor like Doctor Who regenerated into Chris Hemsworth overnight. It's just (laughs) a thing they do. It really is like an element of being in secondary market. So when Rain was rehatched from her egg, they made her look like Macy. That makes sense. And okay, you know what? Let's bring up the rehatching from the eggs because that brings us to a character who I don't think ever got a fair shake. Mondo is finally getting a chance to be like a real character and not a plot contrivance. And I don't know what to do with that. Are you sure? Because he was pretty plot contrived this entire issue. I'm serious. That was more dialogue than I think Mondo has maybe ever had in the history of comics. Yeah, it's like the 90s finally happened for Mondo when he was supposed to be introduced like 20 years ago it's now finally happened for him and i think it's terrific because his power signature really does make sense with krakoa i like that every book seems to have somebody who can kind of be like the krakoan go-between i also i'm gonna be really honest doug is kind of a duplicitous dickhead so doug kind of being a duplicitous dickhead at mondo is totally totally my doug and i loved it I love when Doug is a dick. I enjoyed that myself. I am of the mindset that Doug is the greatest potential supervillain in the entire Marvel Universe. Because I think if Doug can read any language, there's no reason that Doug can't read the quantum strings of reality if Jamie Monarch Braddock explained it to him. I think there's no reason that he wouldn't be able to learn magic. I think there's no reason that he wouldn't at some point be able to fundamentally unmake technarchy on a molecular level. He speaks the language of reality. And if somebody could explain that language to him, he'd be unstoppable. But I feel like he would be disinterested in it. That's literally one of the greatest gifts of Doug Ramsey. The only reason he's not like the greatest supervillain in the entire Marvel Universe is because he doesn't have the interest. Were there any other characters that stood out for anybody as like, hell yeah. I mean, like I did not like the Birdo Danny exchange. It was so forced and so saccharine at the beginning. Ugh, that was not my favorite exchange. Are you talking about the exchange when they're staring at the camera? Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, that was really awkward. And that's one of the pieces that really threw me off with the art, actually. Well, this is my introduction to Ileana as magic. I guess I was expecting her to be more weird. I was expecting more, you know, creepy black magic, weird, quirky. I felt like she was half of herself because it was like she was almost there and she was teetering in the crazy, but like she wasn't fully crazy that I was expecting. I believe they're looking to pull back a little bit on representations of unbalanced as mentally unstable. I think we had a number of primarily female characters and Warren who were all somehow physically and psychologically scarred. So they were on the crazy spectrum 
and that crazy spectrum translated frequently to an insensitivity to mental disorder and especially after the heights of evil they went to with Ileana in the last 10 years or so I think with this fresh start trying to have a likable marketable sellable Ileana is a really good move because there's room for villains in the Marvel Universe but I don't know that there's room for villains in the Marvel Universe that you can then put up on a pedestal and be like nope this is an X-Man good person yeah, I think with the past couple of years with Ileana, they, like Nico said, trying to balance it of not comparing it to mental illness. I think they, now they get, just go back and forth. So most readers can understand if she goes really crazy, dark, weird, but then understand when she's toning it down. Speaking of which, I think that Ileana variant that you got, Jonah, that was so anime and so much boobs, but like so beautiful. Oh my God, it's everything I could have ever wanted. Ileana is... The- the dark magical girl that I wanted to be when I was growing up. That's not true. If there's any magical girl I wanted to be, I wanted to be Bubbles from Powerpuff Girls. But I mean, in terms of dark magical girls, I think we can agree that Ileana is Sailor Dark Side of the Moon, and it's a glorious, glorious thing. Really paying attention to the information pages that are in all of these Dawn of X titles. One of the pages in this talked about a king egg, and I'm pretty sure that is what we saw at the end of the issue with the Starjammers. But on the information page where it talks about king eggs, underneath it, it mentions the letters XMN8 underscore 9. So I'm pretty sure that means this king egg is going to come back up in the x-men book issues eight and nine that is a very hickman thing to do he loves to put time and ideas and plant that stuff out and speaking of the end of this issue this was a really daring choice corsair and the star jammers turn their back on the new mutants stranding them in a rather dire situation this is not a new situation for the new mutants who are frequently dire but this certainly was not what i was expecting from corsair but backs up my whole scummy pirate bro not acceptable seriously corsair is like a natty light away from being that guy at a party <laughs> you know i would have said a yingling but yeah, i i know i know he only goes to micro breweries and they have to be made like local pilsners it's all about the pills well yeah no but you see he makes his own and now he can't stop talking about it he actually calls his garage the oh he calls it bruce's brewery because his name is bruce <laughs> so anyway <laughs> Uh, moving on. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Uh, plot-wise. So, basically, the New Mutants are like, hey, you know who would really like this? Sam. Where's Sam again? Oh, yeah. He's in space because he's a Shi'ar Empire, you know, royalty bloodline with his family. Let's go get him. And I'm down for that plot. Sure. Why not? Do whatever. My problem with this is, I like Ileana, and I like magic, but why is she allowed to go on this if she's one of the Krakoan generals? I feel like she would kind of be forced to stay if she's taking on that responsibility especially to protect Krakoa she protect she attack and thanks to the portals of limbo she got your back she can teleport herself as needed through the portals of limbo so she can be anywhere and everywhere and I understand even if they're saying that she can't at the moment that's not really a thing with the X-Men they always find a way to reunite in time for the crossover so I always suspend stuff like that for in time for the crossover I mean, to go with Jonah's point, they let Doug go out on this weird space road trip to 
too, which seems a little weird because he's very important. Yeah, he's very responsible and important on Krakoa. He's the only one who treats Krakoa as a person and not as a landmass. So departing Doug seems silly. There was the brief moment where they talked about Monet and Sink being the ones that caused this kid, new kid mutant to make this weird coffee drink or whatever that everybody likes. And for Generation X fans to hear that Monet and Sink are doing something together is very exciting because they were a couple for a hot second before he died. Yeah, they were never really a couple. And then when they finally got to be a couple, they didn't get to be a couple. Yeah. Wah, wah. And then he died. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was really disheartening. So like I had said earlier, when you had asked me how I felt about the issue, I really felt that all of these characters had regressed. And this really exhibited itself once they were on board with the Star Jammers. And they all just started acting like teenagers when they've really grown up in the last few years, especially with Birdo taking on leadership roles with AIM, with US Avengers, and now all of a sudden everybody's treating them like teenagers. I think it has to do with the idea that everything old is new again and old again at the same time. I really feel like this reads like a team at a crossroads. None of them know who they're going to be because instead of being who they always believed they had to be, they have choices for the first time in their lives, specifically the New Mutants and Gen X. A lot of X-Men come to the roster a bit older, but the team's rosters here, they came to the school when they were kids, and I think what reads for sure as regression might be intended to be adults who never got to experience childhood freedoms, experiencing freedoms that they've never gotten to know before, and the associated behavior, because it's not just other people treating them like teenagers, I do agree, they are behaving a bit immature, I think it's that regressive behavior in the name of progressive freedom that's translating back to the other people on Krakoa as, oh, they're acting like babies again. And really, Scott, you ran away for years and got to be your own person. Most of the New Mutants did. Most of the time, if a New Mutant ran away, they were dead. So this is a really interesting crossroads for all of these characters. I actually completely agree with you, and I think maybe that interpretation, I have a slightly new fondness that I just found for this book, and I'm, I think I just, you made me relate to it in a completely different way in that me, being the youngest member of this team, and, you know, entering adulthood through college in a new city, I now understand what the New Mutants are going through. You know, we're covering New Mutants on our Uncanny feed, and that's when they're teenagers. But now it's kind of like they're telling the story of them entering a form of adulthood. Yeah, they're a little bit immature. I think it's because you can argue that they made out better, but they probably don't. You know, they don't know how to be actual adults and actual mutants yet. They're still forming their ideologies of who they want to be. This reading of Birdo was completely different than his first introduction. And granted, a lot has happened to him, but it's still really interesting to see them grow up, but still act like kids. You know, it's Birdo wanting to get really drunk. It's Ileana not sharing her coffee. It's all those things of like certain things of adulthood, like that, like you don't have to share or you're doing something bad that you don't get to do as a kid. Okay. I wanted to say that I kind of agree with all three of you. <laughs> like Kyle said, it seems like they regressed a bit, but then to add in what Nico and Jonah said, the characters of New Mutants and Generation X, they've always been characters that have been added to like the main team here and there, but then eventually just thrown back to comic book limbo, which is the writer's fault, not the characters. But I think in a way it's like showing that, hey, the X-Men have picked us to be on 
teens for a while, but then they threw us away. And so now Generation X and New Mutant characters are trying to learn and grow together since they've always just been throwaway characters. That actually makes a lot of sense and it kind of helps to change how I'm seeing this. So thanks. In this book, the main setting of where they went to in space was called Benevolence. And I just wanted to point out that back in Powers of X in Life 6, Benevolence was one of those places in Shi'ar space that had a population of like 8,000 mutants. So I just thought it was neat that we're throwing in things from Powers of X's future. I'm really excited to see how that translates back into the story. Talking about anything else in this issue would be pretty stupid. I don't think there's anything else to say. There were Reavers. People attack Krakoa. Wah, wah, wah. Xavier gets shot in the head. Discuss. Normally I'm confused in a lot of what's going on in this current timeline because I'm missing stuff. I was just actually confused about this entire plot. I felt like there was a little too much information not given to readers to really understand what exactly was happening. It actually took me a few times to understand and I had to go through the pages a couple of times to really like, oh... Okay, I kind of get it, but I still don't. I think this was the darkest and heaviest story of the current X-Men run, and I don't know if that fits in with the full narrative. Unless that's what they want X-Force to be, is just be the really gritty book, which you can. X-Force is the term for the closest to mature audience's book the X-Men gets. Whether that's outright violence or it's hypersexual satire in the case of X-Force Ecstatics, X-Force is the adult title. Like Jonah said, with it being heavy and kind of like there was a lot going on I agree we start out with Reavers and then we cut to this monster thing on Krakoa trying to kill Beast I feel like there was a lot going on because I mean that was just in like the first four pages and then it cuts to Black Tom seeming like he is a very powerful part of Krakoa but everyone still hates him it just seemed like a lot Black Tom Black Tom do you want to live treeliciously I will say that I am pretty happy that they showed Healer from the Morlocks on Krakoa, mainly just because I'm weird and like they're C-list characters. I'm glad to know that the Morlocks are being shown on Krakoa. I loved that part, and I loved that they brought back Healer. But Healer's name is so, like, on the nose, right? <laughs> if Mr. Fantastic's name were Stretchface, or, like, if Juggernaut's name was Daddy Issues, we wouldn't be rooting for him. Well, hold on. <laughs> if there was a villain and or superhero named Daddy Issues, you're telling me the internet wouldn't go crazy and I would be the most popular character from anything? <laughs> to touch on what Dylan talked about with Black Tom, I actually find it a little weird that, maybe you guys can correct me, I feel like there's a very easy exception of Magneto, who feels like a much more deadly villain who's done much worse things than Black Tom could, but Black Tom is the one they find hard to trust? I don't know about that. That just seems weird, no? It's very bothersome. We're having Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister and Exodus and Mystique be leaders of our council, but we're all still gonna hate Black Tom. And I think part of it is because there's that inherent thing that happens. Everybody, okay. Rewind! Playback. So, in the early 90s, at Vertigo, everybody was trying to change the universe forever. That was the goal of comics. We were in the wake of Watchmen. We were in a post-Vendetta world. Swamp Thing had already shown a graphic birthing scene. Miracle Man had shown a graphic...
graphic birthing scene, I guess at the end of the day, Alan Moore loves showing vaginas exploding. But we were entering a new age of comics, and in that new age of comics, one of the most important things was to be the most est you could possibly be. And in the pages of Sandman, Neil Gaiman had Lucifer, for all intents and purposes, the devil in DC. While over in Hellblazer, which frankly Garth Ennis saw as the rightful heir to the DC horror throne, he was so mad that he couldn't use Lucifer that he came up with the first of the fallen. A Lucifer from like right before Lucifer, who's even more evil and more horrible and more powerful than Lucifer. And he had that guy be even devilier. And of course, it goes on further, deeper, and worse from there. Every time the X-Men need to outdo themselves, they have to sort of restructure the argument. One of the biggest things that the X-Men has come to rely on is the reforming of villains. And at the same time, you had Juggernaut being reformed in Uncanny X-Men. You had Emma Frost, who I guess is just never done being reformed or something, running around new X-Men. And simultaneously, over in the pages of Extreme X-Men, you had Sage, who had been Tessa. And the X-Men love these different iterations of redemption, despite knowing that Tessa had always been a plant. A bunch of people never really trust her. What? Emma Frost really is never evil again after she possesses Storm. I mean, she does some questionable shit, but at the end of the day, she's a headmaster who puts her students first every step of the way, pretty much after 1985. And the Juggernaut, I don't know, it seems like some people get a buy for being mystically possessed and other people don't. Colossus, who has said that when he was possessed by Sidorak, it egged the hate in his heart on and he couldn't stop being evil and hateful. And frankly, I feel as though Colossus was given a hand wave for all of his involvement in being possessed. And here we saw Juggernaut have to practically beg for forgiveness in a way that was unbecoming of the X-Men. They love to reset the standard on forgiveness as per the title's necessity. We're going to see that going on at the same time in Uncanny shortly, where Rogue is going to be joining the cast of our 80s Mutant Mania Uncanny title. And it's going to be a very, very different path to redemption than the X-Men have shown before. Jonah, what are your thoughts on redeeming villains? I think redeem villains. That's great. However, it's something that we talk about in our complaints for Steven Universe. Not every villain deserves redemption. They can atone for what they did, but forgiveness and accepting who they are are really different things. I don't mind the redemption of villains. I think it can make for a great story when done right. Here, Hickman put himself in a weird binding where every villain is getting redeemed for the most part. The ones that Charles and the council believe should be alive, because I'm sure there's plenty of mutant villains that are not going to be coming back because they're deemed too much of a threat. But when Black Tom seems really passionate about Krakoa, he's another one who's connected to nature and the earth and he's one that we also saw talking to Krakoa. It's really weird that Black Tom's redemption feels much more conditional than other villains like Magneto and Apocalypse. And especially with how powerful Black Tom is coming off and how very vital he is to the security of Krakoa. I'm really confused as to why his forgiveness and redemption is so conditional. Kyle, over the years, the X-Men saw villains come and go from the mansion, whether it's Magneto and his time as a headmaster, or it's any of the villains we've already mentioned. Do you have a favorite reformed villain, or do you have a favorite villainous reform story? I haven't really experienced a lot of reformation with the villains because of the amount of time between 
where I stopped reading and where I picked up reading again. But you know what? I do think that I really, really enjoy all of the various times that I have seen Magneto become reformed. Especially, what was it, around Uncanny 200, I think? You guys haven't even gotten to yet, so. Uncanny 200, the trial of Magneto, and then 201, the change of leadership, and then New Mutants 35. That's a really great run of issues, especially for Magneto. Dylan, you've made it known that you love the C&D cast list characters, and I think it's so special that you want to give these characters spotlights. Are there any D or C cast villains that you would love to see get a redemption story? One that I absolutely love that I think I feel like she's gotten a little bit of a redemption story, but not too much is Feral from X Force. I know you probably. Ew! Don't know too I'm much. sitting here with my fingers crossed, saying, "Say Reagan, say Reagan, say Reagan," and you say Feral. I'm gonna flip the fucking <laughs> table. Ew! Next you're gonna I, root for Thorn. Ew! I love Reagan, but I feel like a lot of people love her just because of her outfits. So I'm giving Furry Feral some love. That's my choice, Jonah. I'm sorry, you have to pick another choice. I'm sorry, we don't, we don't, we don't stand Feral on this show ever. You have to pick another choice. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lady Mastermind is never gonna want to be reformed, so nobody needs to give her a chance. I literally want nothing more than to write a Summers vs. Wingard family book. <laughs> I would love that, but I hate Pixie, so I really don't want to book with her. I cannot believe how much my eyes are twitching staring at the microphone. <laughs> it's almost like the microphone was the one that did you dirty and not Dylan. <laughs> also, wait, that's not where sound comes out of. Sound doesn't come out of this microphone. It's coming out of your headphones. <laughs> It goes without saying that it's already been stated that Xavier can regenerate himself to an earlier version of his body, and that he is the only telepath who's been able to do it, and he's done it multiple times. I'm adding that in with the Jean Grey variant of X-Force number three, where she's wearing the freaky helmet, and I'm like, I think Jean is going to help put Xavier back in a younger Xavier, but I hope it's something, like, funny, like, it's like, he's, like, a really little kid, and nobody takes him seriously, and everybody's always picking on little Chucky, and stuff. I want a baby Charles, and He's just pouty and meh. Oh, and the penances can be his babysitters. Yes. But they can't touch him, so he runs away from them and does whatever he wants. And they just go and try to find Monet, but they can't talk to her. I feel like Eunice and Leash together would be, like, the two best babysitters. (laughs) And, like, throw in Dr. Cecilia Reyes in there. Or why not Kitty? Oh, because Kitty's a babysitter. Kitty's a pirate now. And Kitty's not even a mutant at the moment, so I don't know what's going on. Can I just talk about Jean bursting into the scene? That beautiful art with like her, like like the, the psychic rings around her. Like, oh my god, Jean flying. That was just a beautiful, beautiful art. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. I think showing Jean be so in fucking charge in this book was great. I didn't get enough Quentin for my taste. I liked the amount of Logan I got. I appreciated the balanced character characterization but if they go back on this right if xavier wasn't shot i'll be annoyed but i won't feel betrayed because he could come back some other way at this point i wouldn't feel betrayed she's kind of like then why'd you do it why'd you do it phrase so i expect to see xavier back by like issue four the thing that's really interesting
interesting that I want to put on the table before we take our discussion a step further and I get everybody else's reactions to Xavier's death is that they are being very clever about how they are soliciting these books. As a matter of fact, every title will reach its sixth issue by February 6th. February 6th, we'll see every one of these X-Books reach their sixth issue, except for X-Men number six, which was pushed back one week. February will also see the launch of Giant Size X-Men number one, Wolverine, and more. So it feels like perhaps this first round of stories is going to wrap up pretty neatly in January. Kyle, when you saw Xavier's helmet on the ground and the implications of everything going on with the Reaver attack and the misdirect that it was always to get Xavier, how did you feel as a reader with everything that we just went through for Xavier? I'm unsettled. I feel like it's way too early in this run, in this new mutant world, to be completely destroying the way of mutant resurrection. I'm also super, super unsettled with the lengths that the Reavers went to in order to invade Krakoa. The fact that they covered themselves in Domino's skin in order to trick Sage into thinking that they were Domino is so, 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 so gross and blah. Dylan, did you catch that little detail? And if you did, how did it make you feel? At first, I didn't catch it. But then as I was reading on and on, I, I was like, why do the Reavers have a bunch of white marks on them? But then I was like, oh, oh my God, it's Domino. And I was a little horrified, but also I think that's really kind of ingenious of the reverse. To add to that, I do have to mention the fact that I have my X-Men Facebook group, House of X, and something I didn't even think of until I saw a bunch of other people have the exact same theory. A lot of people are saying that they think quite possibly that the Quiet Council or Xavier may have set Domino up to have an early invasion on Krakoa, so Krakoa could get more allies from the nations that did didn't want to join the treaty, and I think that's a pretty amazing theory. I also wouldn't be surprised if they were doing it to test the metal of the team right off the bat. Completely. So, after my groundbreaking theory mention, Jonah, what were your thoughts on Xavier getting shot and the end of this book? I think I have a stance limited to Kyle. I was confused that they were doing this so early. I think this would have suited better as part of the story for a little bit later in this full narrative. I think it's way too early for Charles not to be present and to not expect him to come back. This doesn't feel like it's a death in Uncanny where you know death is permanent. Death isn't really permanent on Krakoa. And I'm not fully sure where they would want to go with this by taking Charles out. I don't think it makes much sense. So I'm interested, but also wary of where the story is going to go from here. Well, those were definitely issues that we read and discussed, possibly. <laughs> Did we, though? <laughs> Check us out next time where we talk about Fallen Angels number one and X-Men number two. But until we meet again, Kyle, where can everybody find you? You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men group House of X or on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Swindling Corsair out of his Kentucky bourbon. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at <laughs> Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, 
Where can everybody find you? You guys can find all of us at wearekrokoa.com, soon to be our amazing X-Men portal, so keep an eye on that. Don't forget to check out the other amazing shows on this network, like HTML, which I do with my amazing husband, Jonah's boyfriend, the incredible Kevo, who helps me dissect film franchises. His research is unparalleled, and his behind-the-scenes insights are incredible. Check out my theme work on other shows, like Too Fast, Too Forever, as well as a number of other shows coming up soon. And don't forget to look me up on Instagram, at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, where I never have a shirt on. You can also check out my super-inclusive superhero comics over at KidRiotComics.com, where we have over 500 pages up free, as well as the ability to shop our store. Alright guys, and until we come back next time, whether it's We Are Krakoa, or 80s Mutant Mania, everybody here at X's for Podcasts really appreciates the listens, we appreciate the downloads, keep subscribing, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. See ya!